Hello and welcome to the SFM podcast. It's been a while since we've been in air, but the playing field is pretty much what it was when we last spoke to you, and the same tired old tunes are being played everywhere. The car crash that is the SFA and the SPFL are still playing by whatever rules they made up when they got up out of bed this morning, still refusing to talk to the fans, refusing to be accountable, unable to explain. The press, well they're still strutting around the farmyard, squawking dementedly and loudly, in the mistaken belief that anybody actually believes them, or that what they have to say is either instructive or relevant. And there's the theatre of the courts, still featured in Sports Direct as a marksman, and Rangers swimming about in a barrel. On the bright side, there has been a takeover at Hibs, and foreign interest in Partick Thistle, demonstrating that despite the authorities in the press desperately trying to talk the game in Scotland down, folk from overseas see a good deal of value in it. With those last two items in mind, I spoke to David Lowe, or at Heavydor as he calls himself on Twitter, to give us his take on all foreign interest in the game and where it might lead in the near future. We also asked David to return to the Sports Direct Rangers saga to give us a professional perspective on what, in fact, is going on. David is, of course, a Glasgow businessman with a long history of association with the football industry. He's an associate of Fergus McCann and a member of the McCann Group, which successfully took control of Celtic in 1994. David was closely involved in the years when Celtic were rebuilt from near bankruptcy into the richest club in the country. He recently was part of a consortium which tried to buy Hibs and has been an advisor in football to investors for the last 25 years. I spoke to David at his Glasgow office this week, and here's what he had to say. Annoyingly, someone next door was playing with a new drill at the end of the interview, but I hope that won't spoil your fun. Uh, David, thanks for joining us uh, today. The recent developments uh, about uh, American interest in buying up Scottish football clubs in, in a game in a country where we thought that there, was, uh, there wasn't very much going for us seems to have stepped up. What, what do you know about the what, what things are going on? I know the hip situation and the... Uh, the party thistle situation, but um, yes, is is that as far as it goes? Yeah, well, I, I have worked with uh, American sports franchise holders, as they call it, uh, for very many years now. Uh, obvious and most well known one being Fergus, but there there have been others, and Americans are peculiar. I mean, they they basically look to run sports franchises, as they call it, on a sensible basis. Indeed, one individual who uh, I, I worked with said, hey Dave, you know, I'm a two-check guy. And I said, hey, what does that mean? And he says, I like buying sports franchises with a little check, and I like receiving a big check. And guys like you run it at break-even until it's the time to sell. So I always remembered that, and that was like 20 years ago. So Americans are those type of investors. The other thing that the same chap told me was that, hey Dave, there are more billionaires wanting sports franchises than there are franchises available. So simple supply and demand uh, means that if you run it properly, when you come to sell it, you'll get more money than you paid for it. Mm. So by and large, you know, that's how Americans look at sports franchises. Uh, And uh, because the values had risen so highly in the States for baseball, basketball, football, uh, they came to Europe and, uh, you know, they'll be looking for uh, value here. Uh, in Europe. Uh, the first call was, was in uh, the UK because it's English speaking if for no other reason 
and uh, you know a few Americans took over a few sports franchises. But Americans have been priced out of the sensible market by oligarchs and wealthy Chinese, etc. And there's no value there. So they're looking for value. Uh, Americans are into the French League, where there's allegedly value. Uh, Frank Lacourt owns Marseille, uh, which is the biggest club in France by a considerable degree. People that are trying to buy uh, uh, Partick Thistle uh, own Nice. Uh, and they're now looking at Scotland as well for value. If we're struggling in Scotland to, to make the game itself break even, wh where's that second check coming for, for any investor? Well, at the end of the day, the starting point when you buy the franchise, because I agree with everything that the American guy told me, is to run it properly, mm. to be as good as you can be. And basically, yeah, that means living within your means. And that basically means also, you know, if you earn more, you spend more. But it also means if you earn less, you spend less. That's the way people run their households. That's the way people run their businesses. And sports franchises are no different. You can't run them at a loss forever because you'll go bust the same way as you would do if you ran a business or your household that way. I, I, get, I get that, but in terms of, say, Patrick Thistle, for instance, and I know it's, it's possibly not the best example for you to be as candid, perhaps, as you might be, because you know the, the people who've been running Patrick Thistle for a long number of years, but what could American investors, these ones in particular, bring to Patrick Thistle that the people who've been running Patrick Thistle have they been able to do for the past 30 or 40 years? Well, I, I do have a connection with them, although I have spoken to them. Uh, I haven't spoken to them, I beg your pardon, and I don't know what the logic is. I was very surprised when they bought it because Partick Thistle is a pretty small team. Mm -hmm. But uh, Billy Bean is involved. Billy Bean's the, the guy that was in Moneyball, for anybody that doesn't know. He's the guy that sort of took a, a Partick Thistle-type uh, baseball team, called that uh, Oakland Athletics, uh, and took them uh, way up the leagues, uh, the league and challengers for the World Series, although he never actually won one by using sabermetrics, which is basically algorithms to identify hidden talents, hidden value, uh, that would result in a better financial and on-field performance for the franchise. So he's involved with them and uh, the group that's buying Parkick to solve the group that owns Barnsley Football Club and the group that owns Nice Football Club in France. So essentially better management then of the skills and the talents that are available to them, but what about extra money for to invest, to, to speculate, if you like? Well, I, I, again, the Kilmarnock experience is an interesting one. Everybody knows that follows football, that Kilmarnock were hidden nowhere. Uh, the stadium was empty, Celtic and Rangers got all sorts of sides of the ground. Uh, and then Steve Clark came in and I think revolutionised is the correct word, you know. He revel I don't know what he did, but whatever it was, it was revolutionary. And the crowds went away up and now we're only getting one end, etc. So there's an example of a very experienced and good manager. What did he do? He basically made Kilmarnock a very successful franchise. To keep, keep the American analogy up. It came third, qualified for Europe, although knocked out now. And the crowds went away up. That's why we've only got one end. Mm -hmm. So there are people, you know, that currently don't go to football games uh, that will go if there's something good happening. So I'd like to think that, uh, you know, if something positive uh, along those lines happened at Partick Thistle, you know, their crowds would go up.
their performance would improve. Uh, they would do a Kilmarnock thing and uh, get into the Premier League and you know, come top six, six and qualify for Europe. You have to think that's why they're doing it. It may also be relevant is that there's fantastic development opportunities up there. Uh, it's on the canal, the Forth and Clyde Canal. Uh, that's get, attracting a lot of money, a lot of investment, a lot of development. Uh, there are uh, development opportunities within the existing Partick Thistle footprint, the East End. It's not currently, a, cur not currently being used. Uh, I think they see the opportunity of creating a commercial development there, perhaps even a hotel, uh, looking onto the canal. Uh, these are just my best guesses. Nobody really knows why they're interested in the Partick Thistle. You could say, you know, why didn't they buy Rangers? Because that's like a big franchise. Well, I'll maybe come. I'll maybe come in that. Yeah, but I, I didn't say that to be mischievous. But, 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 but what I do know is that ten, ten years or so ago, there was the, the, there was interest in Celtic from American investors. What's, what's changed? I mean, nothing came of that. So what, what's changed then? Well, the people I was involved in uh, ten years or so ago, uh, again, I, I do remember things. They said uh, they had a big debate about, uh, "Hey, Dave, do we want a big fish in a small pond?" Or do we want a small fish in a big pond? Do we want to buy a Celtic or do we want to buy a Newcastle? Well, they opted for the Celtic route uh, because it was a guaranteed, then it was a guaranteed ticket into uh, the Champions League, mm. more or less, because Rangers were already uh, having financial problems at, at that stage. And uh, they did take a stake in Celtic, which was publicly disclosed. And they, they, they did make an offer to buy Celtic. Uh, but Dermot uh, made it clear in no uncertain terms that Celtic wasn't for sale. And I emphasise that to, for the avoidance of doubt and speculation. They were, they were given a big smile, but a big no. Thanks for coming. So who's, who's vulnerable, if you like? And, and again, the reason for the question is because there are two clubs in particular, Hearts and Motherwell, who are moving towards a, a fan ownership model. This would blow that kind of thing out of the water, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't think uh, the fan ownership, a wee bit controversial here, the fan ownership model works in terms of total ownership. If you're a big club and you aspire to do big things and win trophies, etc., I think it becomes more difficult to uh, fulfil those ambitions if you don't have money and access to money uh, behind you. Uh, the ownership of the big clubs in Scotland is an ageing ownership. I mean, Tom Farmer has just sold out. He's 70-something. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of record that he, he, he wanted to sell, and he has sold to a very wealthy American. And, and he, you know, I'd made a bid for this club myself uh, three or four years ago because I genuinely did believe that and do believe for that matter that the number two spot is up for grabs following Rangers demise. So what this American guy has done, if you recognise the principles that I, I mentioned earlier, he's actually bought a turnkey operation with next to no money needing spent on the fabric. It's a fantastic stadium in a fantastic city and a fantastic part of that city with a fantastic support. These are all pluses, uh, and they've got a great uh, training facility, and they've got a great stadium. Uh, it has a burning, great songs as well. But uh, 
Well, that's the obvious buy. That was the obvious buy for me five years ago, and it's the obvious buy for uh, for Mr. Gordon. Uh, so Hibs have gone. Smaller clubs have already gone. Both Dundee clubs. I'm not sure of the logic there. You know, have gone to American ownership. Air United is under American ownership. I think Aberdeen is is heading there, but it's not already there. So what's left was your question. Well, Hearts are clearly a big team. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I see Hearts getting sold, I really do, uh, not to the fans, to a, another third party. I think Anne Budge has done a very good job, but I'm not so sure that uh, she, she'll she be around forever. <laughs> so, well, she's I would say that's She's in the late 60s as well, isn't she? Sorry? She's in the late 60s as well. No, I, I don't want to be ageist, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, she's basically saved Hearts the same way as Farmer did with Hibs back back in the day. So you asked me the question. Uh, I, I believe Hearts are an, an attractive uh, uh, possibility for American investors in the same way that Hibs are. Uh, so that's all the big clubs, uh, bar the obvious one, uh, spoken for. Rangers, you know, uh, the problem that Rangers have got is, quite frankly, uh, Mike Ashley. It's very difficult, I do believe, you know, for uh, that club to change hands with the relationship uh, as it is in place. Uh, so that's a sort of poison pill of sorts. I'm not sure who's getting poisoned, uh, but it's certainly a, a, a reason why it would be difficult to, for Rangers to change hands, if indeed Rangers is for sale. We don't know that. But nobody's really in charge of Rangers, you know, there's no, Dermot owns 44% of uh, Celtic, you know, which is a set effective control. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, a, sort of a loose grouping or a concert party of a few people that have a very significant shareholding, uh, but a group is not as solid as one entity mm-hmm. uh, is. So you were, you were talking about an aging ownership as well. I mean, D- Dermot himself is getting on. I think he's 70 this year. Could that possibly make him less reluctant to part with shares? I would never dream of trying to read uh, Dermot Desmond's mind. Uh, but nothing's forever, is it? That's oh, nothing is forever. Uh, you know, Dermot, you know, 10 years ago, certainly. I mean, I've probably not spoken to him for 10 years. Uh, uh, was not interested then, and I, I have no idea. I, I, I think he's a, a fantastic owner for Celtic to have that, to have that financial muscle uh, behind you. Uh, and of course, he's a, a huge fan, so uh, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd be very disappointed if he left. But nothing to suggest that. Let's keep emphasising yeah. that. You, would you say that, and, and because obviously you're close to Celtic, would you say that in the Celtic's case, that if one of these uh, American billionaires was to come and buy out Dermot's uh, stake, that they would not necessarily be as good for Celtic as well, you can, well, that's like you can't really answer that, can you? But like, you can deal with the practicalities of what you, you said. Let's just say uh, a very wealthy uh, American buyer, because that's what you started this interview off on, came along and patently uh, had the credentials to uh, take Celtic forward. You know, I have to say that's exactly what Farmer did. You know, Farmer you know, used to get a, a approaches on a fairly reg- regular basis. And, and he was pretty adamant that yeah, if the right offer came along from the right person, 
who was clearly capable of taking the, the, the club forward. He would sell it to them. And the, the knowledge that as far as he can be, he's passing the hands on, on to good hands. So I, I'm pretty sure that philosophy you know, would apply here to Celtic. Should Celtic get this hypothetical offer you know, from an American billionaire you know, wanting to buy the club, the same procedure would, have gone, would be gone through uh, so that, that would mitigate the risk. It wouldn't remove the risk of something bad happening in the future, but it would certainly reduce the risk of something bad happening in the future. OK, well, let's uh, turn to Rangers. We'll possibly come back to that before we finish, but to turn to Rangers, uh, the, the one feature of uh, a lot of the, the, the chats we've had over the past couple of years has been your insistence, uh, you know, time and time again, that in order for Rangers to move forward, they have to make peace with Ashley. Yeah. Uh, with Sports Direct and, and clearly that hasn't happened the latest developments I, I suppose you know, obviously the Rangers board will put their spin on it and, uh, and try to reassure the supporters people who are not necessarily so well disposed to Rangers as the Rangers board are putting the other extreme forward you know liquidation is, uh, is round the corner all that sort of stuff but, but what's your uh, view of what's happened and the impact that it would have on the club uh, going forward well, it's a matter of record, the Rangers board have said so themselves. The current business model is unsustainable. You cannot spend more than you earn forever and ever and ever. Nobody runs their household that way, their personal finances, nobody runs their business. The country doesn't run that way. If you're running it that way forever, you can only finance it through running down your savings, which eventually run out, or you borrow it and you can, can eventually can't borrow anymore. So the current business model is a temporary business model and Rangers have to get to break even. Since the, it started 2012, it has never made a profit. Started off with 22 million in the bank following a very successful share flotation and just squandered the money uh, for, in lots of ways to the extent that you know they basically have no safety net they have no dermot, and it's very difficult to break out of that cycle if you can't really raise any equity from what you would call professional investors uh, because of this relationship, the elephant in the room relationship with Mike Ashley, who's done nothing wrong. He's not a pantomime villain. He signed a bona fide contract in 2012 he signed a, a new contract, you know, with the current board last year or the year before, and he doesn't have to do anything. But clearly, going head to head with him is not a good thing uh, for for Rangers, and it's a no-brainer. Yeah, they have to make peace with him. They really do uh, to have to cut this Gordian knot uh, to start moving forwards and start earning the. The, uh, the revenue that they think they're due from uh, the, the partner that they signed a contract with. And the courts think that as well. So until that is, is, is resolved in a positive manner, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for, for Rangers to attract uh, investment. Another feature of some of the comments that you've made in the past in Rangers has been uh, about the fact that 
that the share ownership was not necessarily controlling the club. It was it was the debt ownership that was that was controlling the club, because yeah. the people who controlled the debt controlled the, the future of the club. Yeah. In that respect, does that not make the the debt equity swap? A, a, a bit of a mistake, given the well, fact that now the, 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 the debt is effectively, or will be, when this is resolved, owned by Mike Ashley? Well, as far as I'm aware, Rangers don't have any third-party uh, bank debt. And I'm not talking about close, close Brothers, I'm talking about conventional bank debt. Mm. What they have is a, a group of individuals who each year finance the loss with loans. Now, because you work in a regulatory environment, a football regulated environment, there are financial fair play issues. So you can't just run up debt whether it's internal or not. Mm. So there is an absolute requirement to convert that debt to equity. And that's what they did. But it requires more debt and unless there's a change in the modus operandi, uh, it will require uh, further debt conversion. But what that does is decimate the value of the shares. You know, you're issuing more and more shares at lesser and lesser value. It's an unvirtuous circle, sort of going nowhere. It doesn't solve the problem. Problem being, when you spend more than you earn, uh, you're not doing it right. And eventually, common sense must apply. And, and that there's no sign of that just now. But the point, the point I'm making is that in the event of uh, an insolvency event, then the people who owe the debt get to decide whether there's a there's CVA or, or, or whether the, the club goes to the wall yeah. uh, or whether the company in this case yeah. goes to the wall uh, but now the people in control of that fate if there were to be uh, an insolvency event are not the people sitting in the Rangers boardroom but so it's only, well first of all insolvency events like a sort of a fancy name for administration. Yeah. Well, there's only essentially two ways of having an administration. One, you know, the directors do it. That's what Craig White did, the previous club, or a third party does it. Now, clearly, the current board is uh, are not going to do it. Uh, I think it's inconceivable they would do it. I don't think there's any requirement to do it. I.e., put the club into administration. I don't see any logic in that whatsoever, and I don't think it would be sensible for anybody to be thinking that way. Should it, should it happen, though, whether it's them or anybody else, yeah, if they're in control of the debt, they're in control of the outcome of the, C, the CVA, which is, I think, you're saying. Yeah. But what I'm saying is they have to convert. in order The, the ability to do that is less if they've converted the, the loans to equity, but financial fair play requires it. That's what I'm saying. That's why yeah. they've done it. rather than So, so they were basically between a rock and a hard place. Yes. They, they had the court case yes. coming up, which they probably knew they were on a sticky wicket with, but at the same time, the, the, the fair play regulations almost compelled them to do that. But in the same theme, what makes it interesting is that it's an established fact now that they now have third-party debt to the sworn enemy, Mike Ashley. Mm -hmm. That's a development, that's a change in the dynamic, that's an adverse change in the dynamic, uh, the build-up of external debt. Now, as we sit here, you don't know how much uh, Rangers are into Mike Ashley for in terms of damages, in terms of expenses. Mm -hmm. uh, is it a million? Is it five million? Is it ten million? You don't know. The point is, it's an interesting development. Rangers, are, if they owe Ashley money, two things. One, uh, are they able to pay it? And two, it empowers him further. You know, by having debt, further 
uh, it's not control, but if you owe people money and you can't pay them, that puts the person that's owed the money in a, a powerful position. That's why you've you got to make peace with the guy. Because nobody wants to lose money. But I don't think it's a guy you can hoodwink. And I don't think it's a guy you can rile. And I don't think it's a guy you can mess with. Ordinarily, I would agree with you that, that nobody wants to lose money. But it just seems to me that over, over this particular issue, that the Rangers board have been self-harming almost from day one. And it doesn't make any sense to me. You mean the Ashley issue yeah, or the way just, it's run in general? They've just got, yeah, well, the, the, the Ashley issue in particular. I, th I think that going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ashley again and again, and, and they, they, they were consistently taking second prizes in court. You would think that eventually somebody would, would wave a white flag and say, Let, let's do what you had suggested, which was, was, was to make peace. I, I, I don't. I, I can't see the logic in you know what's going on here at all. I mean, all, all I know is what, what, what I read, and it looks like. Uh, and I, I, I actually solely shares to a premium yeah. twenty-seven pens to, and the fans bought them, and that guy in Hong Kong, Woolhart, whatever his name is, bought them, and Rangers paid him three million and announced it as victory in our times. Well, it doesn't look like that to the outside world. Uh, they've still got the relationship with Ashley and they've tried to, I, I don't know, shaft him and the judge says you can't do that. I, I've, I've always made the assumption. I don't, I don't know what the logic was. Well, I've always made the assumption that, that, uh, that the idea behind Dave King's stewardship, if you like, at Rangers, has been to get the club in a situation where he could sell it and go, go back to South Africa. Maybe make some, some money, maybe get some money back that he, he'd invested in the old club. No, that's obviously an assumption that I've made. But if that's the case, he'd be looking for an investor. So if you're advising Dave King just now, how do I Here's get, a thought. How, how do I get out of this? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's not going to ask you, but if he did, Obviously, your first piece of advice would be make peace with Ashley. Okay, yeah. but how does he get out from under that? If he made peace with Ashley, does then the club become a saleable commodity for the type of investors we were talking about earlier? Yeah, because a, a, a major negative has been removed. I, I remember when I was do, doing the, the Celtic deal uh, and Gerard Weisfeld built up a blocking stake you know, for Celtic, for Fergus our group to push through all the changes that were required to convert the debt that Fergus had uh, built up or put into Celtic mm -hmm. to equity required a special resolution, 75% shareholder approval and after we'd bought all, all the shareholders, Gerald went out and bought 26% from those that we hadn't bought from by offering them more money, essentially. Uh, but guess what? We had to make peace, that's why I mentioned it. You have to make peace, because making peace is patently in the best interests of the club, because it, our job is to make the club better and successful, etc., etc. Uh, so, it's, it's, and that's politics, that's how it works. You know, you compromise. A compromise agreement is a legal term. This is what's required here. Uh, some sort of peace. Some sort of peace is required. But the difference being that, that both Fergus's group and Jerry Weisfeld both had the best interests of the club at heart as well, did they not? Yeah. But I, That's I, not I, necessarily I, the case. I think it would be childish and wrong for any Rangers fan to think Mike Ashley wakes up and think, thinking how he's going to screw Rangers today. Mm -hmm. Mike Ashley has a contract. 
that he signed with the board of directors in which a judge has just said is sound as a pound. You know, that's a contract that both parties entered into. They should get on with it. Instead of trying to, one party trying to shaft the other by doing a deal with another uh, kit company and pretending they didn't. You know, I, I don't understand why anybody would do that. So is, is there an, an egotistical thing involved here? I, I don't know. But, but no, you, you don't think so, way, Ashley. You think that he's... Uh, he's a businessman. He's a businessman. He's a businessman. He's a businessman. Yeah, I think he's way above any sort of personal agenda. Uh, there's always peace to be made. Except when it comes to Brexit. Well, indeed, definitely no qualified to talk about that. But the, the Denver equity thing, uh, how does it affect the club? Because this time, unlike the last time when the club was in trouble, this is the holding company that's in bother. So there's no direct threat to the club existentially. But well, how, how, how would it affect the club? I mean, could they just say, let's sell the Rangers Football Club from underneath Rangers International Football Club? Yeah. At the end of the day, there is a wholly owned subsidiary called the Rangers Football Club Limited, and that holds the fran- not the franchises, the licenses, you know, for the SPFL and the SFA, and subject to shareholder approval, uh, Rangers International Football Club PLC could sell its subsidiary for a sum of money, let's call it for the sake of this uh, Pete and Dudley interview. <laughs> I've never got my bonnet. <laughs> a, lar- a large sum of money, you know, so what's a large sum of money? I'll call it, uh, I'll call it 100 million for, you know, for the sake of a number, no other reason. Uh, yeah, so that, what that would mean is that Rangers changed hands to a third party and 100 million pounds went into the RIFC bank account, uh, which ignoring lots of things, you know, would be, then be able to pay off this debt, that debt, the other debt. Uh, you know, that's a possibility. But I, again, I have no idea whether that's on anybody's agenda. I'm just answering your question. Uh-huh. So, in effect, it, it is different from when the old club went bust. Simply, yes. simply because the debt is not owned directly by yes. the football club as, as it was previously. Yes. I, I, I wish was your best guess about what, what the outcome But you've got to look at the relationship, you know, the financial relationship between, between the, two, the two companies. Yeah, like for instance, if there's any inter... Intercompany yes, loans, yes, intercompany, all intercompany relationship. Would we necessarily know about the extent of those? Uh, yes, because it's public information. Uh, Rangers uh, International's accounts should be out before Christmas for the year that just ended in June. Celtics should be out you know, probably this, uh, well, early August or something. Uh, and then you've got your subsidiary accounts. But again, I have to say, when you're not on the aim market, your requirement to produce the same level of detail uh, is less. You know, a wee bit convenient there. Uh, so there'll be a lot of information in the accounts to answer your question but a lot less than there would be uh, if the company was still listed on name. So what effect do you think that the, the current troubles would have on for instance the, 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 the football side of things with Steve Gerrard and his, his players? Well you know, Rangers fans just want to stop the never mind nine in a row, ten in a row I, I genuinely and honestly 
understand how they feel because it was exactly the same in the 1990s. In fact, I was doing up my basement, I found a cassette recorder and a cassette. And basically, it was a cassette of me doing a question and answer in Las Vegas at the, the, the North American Federation do. And I taped it because the Celtic direct, directors, you know, didn't know. The, I didn't fully appreciate the, uh, the absolute colossal worry and uh, about the spectre of Rangers winning ten in a row, yeah. ten in a row, uh, and I, I was listening to it for the first time and, and since, and it, it was game the money, just give the canny on the money, and they're missing out the swear words. This is from the floor. I don't care, don't care about anything. Game the money and give him the money and all. But that's pretty much, that is how the Rangers fans are just now, isn't it? You know, that's the, how Celtic fans yeah. felt. That's how Rangers fans felt. The way that Celtic de dealt with it is we did not go through all of this near liquidation to put the club at risk again. All we could do then was be the best we could be with the money we had. We didn't have as much money as Rangers because they were building a stadium and we had no choice for the stadium because the Taylor report demanded it. Yeah. All we could do was focus on ourselves and be the best we could be within the budget that we had. And that's what we focused on then, and I mean that, the board. We did not spend more than we earned. We did not put the club at risk financially uh, to an insolvency event. Unfortunately, Celtic won the league uh, and Rangers didn't get the 10. The same dynamic is getting played out in Glasgow at Rangers just now. The same emotions are at play. It's all out, stop the 10. It's understandable. But you can't, I think Rangers should be do, being the best they can be. They shouldn't be basically putting the club at risk of an insolvency event. Would you say the way it's very, mouth? very dangerous. Don't make words in your mouth, but would you say therefore that the, the, the board, the Celtic board at that time, that their priority wasn't stopping 10, it, it was it, it was getting Celtic on an even keel and, as you say, be, being the best that it could yeah. be and slowly improve. Is that a marked contrast to what's happening just now? It's a polar opposite. I mean, it was a very difficult thing to do and I just gave you an example of all, you know, when the world and his wife shout that you just give him the money, <coughs> give him all the money, whatever they want. You know, and think of the, the, the abuse that, that Fergus and the Celtic board got Absolutely. at the time. And I, I did these road shows all over, geez, all over the world. And I used to, you know, I mean, part of me loves all that, you know, putting up with this nonsense. But uh, that's how the Celtic board dealt with it, focused on the best they could be. And that's, I think that's how Rangers should be doing it. What I will say is that the financial gap between Celtic, the financial gap between Celtic and Rangers in the 1990s was a hell of a lot less than the financial gap between Celtic and Rangers just now. Never in the history of the clubs, and never mind whether it's a new club or not, never in the history of the Rangers it has the financial, and Celtic has the financial gap been as big as it is now. It doesn't matter what Rangers spend, Celtic can outspend Rangers uh, seven days out of seven days a week. And they're doing that just now. Uh, so all Rangers should be doing is being the best they can be, get the best manager you've got. 
and get the best players you've got within budget and uh, just be the best you can be. Which, which kind of brings us back and to... So Gerard might be a good manager. Mm-hmm. He's won nothing so far. Uh, the, play, the, new, the, the new squad he's put together might be a new squad. We'll find out. The you know, season starts on Saturday. Uh, Celtic play Rangers, I think, in September. Uh, it's a new season. Yeah, but the bookies have got Celtic favourites by you know, a comfortable margin. Uh, and it would be a major turn-up for the books. Of, uh, say, the league is Celtics to lose, quite frankly. But we come back to what you were saying. You, you, you've, you've said it often enough during this interview, you'll be the best you can be. And you said that almost in answer, direct answer to the very first question about American investors, because that's, that's their model for running sports franchises, yeah. as you say. So effectively then, Scottish football... Is, is appealing certain franchises in Scottish football would be definitely appealing to investors including Rangers if they could only get their act together we yeah. actually it's one of the two big clubs you know if they could get their act together and and, uh, and well if they could get their act together and attract new investment and uh, you know better board you know they could really really challenge Celtic but not not now just like speculation I suppose my guess is that whatever happens in the courts that the Rangers board are going to appeal and appeal and appeal as, as much as they can to try and to put doomsday off do you think that we're talking years months I have no idea I don't think it's doomsday it's just another debt you know but you, we don't know the size of but if they don't pay it then well they'll have to pay it you know uh, the only way they wouldn't pay it is if they didn't have it so I, I'm not going to speculate on that but it's it's a new development, you know, building up a debt to a third party as opposed to building up an internal debt. Uh, so, and you know, if they do, if they handle this the same way they handle the takeover panel, yeah, there'll be an appeal and appeal and appeal. But that's just buying time. So, if the if the debt was say ten million, just to put a number on it, which a lot of people have mentioned, would would that be crippling? I, I would say so. I, I would definitely say so. If it was a million, it wouldn't be. If it was a million, that's 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 horrible, but it's manageable. If it was ten million on top of you know the four million it loses every year, you know you're now into you know uh, human nature. You know this this concert party. It's four individuals. They're probably not best mates. It's a bit similar at Celtic. The one thing they've got in common is they love the club. That's the bond. But once you start injecting huge amounts of money into the equation, suddenly it's, well, how much is he putting in? How much am I putting in? Why should I do this? What's the point? You know, for every million pounds uh, that goes into the club, that's a million pounds the children are not getting. That, you know, that's the type of uh, uh, dynamic that, that plays out. So nobody really cares too much about that type of thing when the numbers are small and insignificant. But when the numbers start to get large and regular and ongoing with no end in sight, uh, then it becomes, what's going on here? That's, and I don't think that's controversial or difficult to understand. It's unsustainable. So 10, 10 million pounds, which is your number, I didn't name any number, no, 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 uh, yeah. and I'm not naming any number, that's a big number and yeah. that would be a problem. Do you expect some new ownership in another major club at some sometime in the near future, perhaps this season? And if so, do you think there's a danger to to Celtic, because obviously you're a Celtic fan, do you think there's a danger to Celtic if somebody comes in and runs a, an Aberdeen or a Rangers or a Hearts or a Hibs correctly? 
Uh, yeah, I've, I've always said, and that's why I was interested in Hibs, that the number two spot is up for grabs. Because they'd be looking for number one eventually, wouldn't they? Well, you know, if you've been around the game long enough, uh, and if you accept, you know, the, what I said earlier, Americans see attractions in Scottish football, you look at the, you know, when the Americans first went into uh, England, you know, they, they gla- it wasn't the first, but, you know, they went, you go for the big clubs, you know, the Glazers still own the United, that, you know, you can, that could easily change hands. Uh, the Americans still own Liverpool. But if suddenly people are looking at Scotland for value, you know, it's the big fish, small pond argument I talked about earlier. Where are you, where are you going to go? You're going to go to Celtic. So I, you know, I wouldn't rule out, uh, you know, uh, Dermot Desmond getting an approach for, for his shares, but maybe he has already had. I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. If you can't get Celtic, what else is there? There's Rangers and there's Hearts. You know, Hearts, I think, in Edinburgh, great city again. Uh, great place to own a club. You know, I, I could see Hearts getting an approach. Uh, there's lots of people would look at Rangers and say, well, that's easily the, the biggest or the second biggest, whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, but once you get down to the diligence, the nitty-gritty, uh, and you look at the omni-shambles uh, relationship with Ashley, that's not going to happen. OK, David, well, we'll, no doubt we'll talk again, but thanks for your time today. No problem, thank you. So, exciting times ahead for the game in Scotland, uncertainty ahead for Rangers too, but we will be keeping a close eye on both situations as the new season gets underway. We hope to be doing regular podcasts in the coming weeks and months. It's been difficult getting assistance with the productions thus far, but we are hopeful that that will change. Remember that the blog is a very busy place on a daily basis, so check up on what's happening at sfm.scot. I'm John Cole, and I'll be back when the transfer window closes to announce the winners of the Closed Season Cup. Thanks to you for taking the time to listen, and thanks to David Lowe once again for taking the time to chat. See you soon.